Our study at this hour has to do with special rules of communication. And you'll find it on the page that is printed before you. Let's communicate. And as I share with you this experience, you may be free to take notes on lessons and some of these laws, Bible laws of communication, you see. And uh, then you may want to share these with someone else. And as we then return to our homes to review these, because I believe, my friends, that the set of laws of communication that we share with you at this hour can completely revitalize communication in any home if people would hum them, humble themselves before the Lord and be willing to do it. Wanda, in the story, and Joe, a married couple, tender-hearted, loving, once they were real followers of the Lord, diligently, earnestly working for the Lord, and then little by little, as so often takes place, they began to lose out in prayer. They began to lose out in sharing Jesus. And almost before they realized it, they had both slipped away from the Lord. As the months and years passed, they were still young people. They began to find in their hearts an emptiness. And, and they longed for a better life. As they were reaching out to find some better way of living, they came to a series of meetings that we were conducting in their church. And one day, as I was inviting men and women to make a new commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, I remember it was 11 o'clock, about 12 o'clock, one holy Sabbath morning. And among those that came to the altar and knelt there before the Lord was Wanda. She made a new start. She just gave her heart over to the Lord Jesus. And she walked out of that meeting place happy, delightful, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus. That evening, as she returned home, and she and Joe that evening and that late, later in the evening, in the early night hours, were discussing some problem, they became irritated. They retired, and they continued quarreling. Wanda got up at 2 o'clock in the morning, dressed, and decided that she was going over and stay, I think it was at her sister's place, a relative at least, in the same city. All frustratedly, she got up and jumped in the car and started out. And as she walked, as she drove into the highway, a big truck came along, demolished her car, and Wanda was instantly killed. A few days later, the funeral was conducted in the same church where we were conducting our series of meetings. I sat in the rear of the church, and my friends, the flowers, the flowers that piled over that casket and all sides of the casket, you'd have thought that some outstanding celebrity was lying there. The minister was telling about the coming of Jesus and the union that his dear ones will have in Jesus at the last great day. He tried his best to bring comfort and hope to all who were there. I was taking notes, and I was looking over the group 
And you know, the large amount of individuals who were present were young people, probably most of them young married people. I saw them wiping a tear from their cheeks as they were thinking upon this beautiful couple now separated until Jesus shall come again. As I decided that I would learn what had happened, I learned that this is what had happened. They had never learned some of the very simple rules of family communication. And I want to share with you what could have happened had they learned these few rules. They're not the rules that we've presented in any previous session. But as I have shared these with thousands of people across our land and other lands, I have found a whole new vision has come to homes. All right, number one, <clears throat> the human mind is one track. And the Bible says whatever your mind finds to do and your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Now, in Philippians 3.13, the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do, and I have found, friends, that in my case in particular, and I've also learned from many others that they have the same difficulty that I have in a more or less degree, that when my mind is occupied with some real problem, if somebody throws in another problem and I try to, to discuss the problem that they have thrown in, they have injected, and still I'm trying to think in my mind the solution to the, uh, to, to the original problem, my mind just goes like a cracked record. And then I came across the writings of the Apostle Paul, this one thing you do, don't try to take on two important things at the same time. The human mind isn't able to do it. There are few wiz wizards in this world. There are few people who are really, they're, they're in the genius class. But in the majority of cases, individuals can't be putting their whole thought and their energy into one problem and find somebody injecting another problem and be able to solve both at the same time. So the first is the law of the one-track mind. It means that we're not to inject into the conversation with someone else or in the thinking of someone else something that's entirely on another subject until this individual can unload his mind of what he's thinking about. Let me give you an illustration. My wife and I were were riding across the continent many years ago with a young couple, a young minister and his wife. They had uh, said that if we would pay the gas and oil, they would bear the expense of the depreciation of the car. We said, that's fair. So my wife and I were in the back seat, they were in the front seat, and this was many, many years ago. We were going through the heavy traffic of Denver, Colorado. And uh, we didn't have, uh, we didn't take the freeway if they even had them in those days. But right in the middle of this heavy traffic, and by the way, they were a beautiful couple, right in the middle of this heavy traffic, this angel wife of his turned to him so sweetly and injected a problem. And he turned a little in her direction because the traffic, traffic was very heavy. He turned a little in her, in her direction and I heard him say this. <clears throat> and I took a little look at her face and I thought I could read what she was thinking. Huh, we've got two coons in the back seat and a dog in the front. He's growling at me when I injected a perfectly reasonable problem. What did she fail to realize? 
that he, like me, had a one-track mind. And you can't put all of your mind in negotiating traffic and still take on another problem. My wife and I didn't know this. I hadn't known it for years. I would travel with ministers <laughs> as we'd be out visiting. And I would, I would occupy their mind with something else right in the time they were in heavy traffic, even after this other had taken place and I'd seen it. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how easily we forget? And you know, almost every minister that I've traveled with in cities, almost everyone has lost his, his way <laughs> because they've, been trying to, they've tried to be kind to me and tried to listen and they couldn't negotiate the traffic and also negotiate what this Glenn Kuhn was saying. Now when my wife and I are traveling, my wife waits until we're out of the heavy traffic. Maybe we're going through the plains. And she'll turn to me and she'll say, Honey, is your mind on something? Well, it always is, you know. But that thoughtfulness makes me eager to unload what I'm thinking of. And I said, Well, in just a minute, it'll be all unloaded. Okay, now everything's all right. Now, there are not two problems, there's one. The law of the one-track mind. Number two, there is a time for everything under the sun. This is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 11. And the 11th verse says, everything is beautiful in its time. So the very conversation that could frustrate if it's ill-timed can actually bring great joy and happiness when it's timed rightly. So the Bible tells us the third law is this, the setting down method of making decisions. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 30. It says, no king will go with his army against another king, but what he'll first sit down. No man will build a tower, but what he'll sit down. We have found the setting down method of making decisions is contrasted with a standing up method of injecting problems as we go along through the day. My friends, if you've never tried it, you'll find it is amazing what can happen to the human mind. Waiting until an appropriate time that's decided on by both. When the mind can be off of all the other problems, now you're sitting down. The next law is this. As you discuss the problem, of all things, you don't discuss a problem. Wait a minute, you're discussing problems and you're not discussing? What do you mean? You merely identify the problem. You discuss possible solutions. Now the difference between discussing a problem and, and discussing solutions is vital. It's a contrast. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we beholding are changed in the same image. If a couple now as they sit down to discuss a problem, if one says to the other, I have a problem that, that we've had for 20 years, you and I, and it seems like you never can understand it. You don't seem to realize what you're doing. What happens? A whole chain of negative thoughts comes in. Negative emotion takes over because in the first place, this person has belittled the other, you'll see. They've mulled over the problem, and by beholding, we're changed into the problem ourselves. Instead of this, we merely identify the problem. Then immediately we discuss solutions. Let me illustrate. Uh, any of you people who ever know Glenn Kuhn know that he's a racehorse. I've been a racehorse from the time I was a boy. And back home in Tennessee in the rainy season, 
my one-track mind and my racehorse speed brings a lot of problems in the home in the form of mud. I'll come in the house, not realizing what I'm doing, a little mud comes this way, a little flies this way, a little over here, and I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm, my mind is on this other. I'm rushing along. When we sat down, my wife could have said, in all truthfulness, honey, do you realize how thoughtless you've been for 30 years? You don't seem to care whether you bring in mud. And, and, and it would have been almost true. She didn't say any such thing. She merely identified the problem. She didn't put any personal pronouns in. When you put a personal pronoun in with negative discussion, there's a lot of emotion. No, she identified it. She said, our problem is mud. She didn't say you did it. She didn't say how many years you've been doing it. Our problem is mud. Immediately went, we went into the solution. I said, honey, I have a solution. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have my pair of rubbers at the front door. And every time I go out of the house in the muddy season, I'll put those rubbers on. When I come back in, I'll take them off. I said, and I'll buy another pair of rubbers and put them at the back door. So when I go out the back door, I'll put them on. So I, no matter which door I go out, for we only had two doors, I'll have my rubbers. In three, in three minutes, the problem was solved, almost. Of course, I didn't stop to realize that I might go out the front door and put on my rubbers and come in the back door and have two pairs in the back, you know, and then go out the front door again, have no rubbers. But it was a step in the right direction. So this is the next law the law of merely identifying the problem and going into possible solutions. This brings us to the next law, and it is this. In preparation for this sitting down time of making decisions, in preparation for this, before either, either husband or wife poses the problem, the one who poses the problem will have claimed a promise from the Lord, like James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, a promise of the Lord so that the moment that the problem is identified, the one who identifies it will say, now I have a possible solution. Then they immediately go into a solutions. The wife may say, I have a possible solution. Then as she says this, her husband may say, well, uh, I don't see too much light in this solution, you know. It would be better if he, if he, instead of saying that, if he would say, uh, oh, what would you think of this solution? Now what are they doing? They're discussing possible solutions. And by beholding, we're changed into the same image. Every time that my wife and I discuss solutions, our whole emotional system is different than when we discuss problems. Try it out. This is from God's immutable, eternal, impeccable, never-failing, successful word. Now then, there's another law that comes into this, and it is this. Suppose I, as the husband now, am sitting down with my wife, and I'm identifying a problem. Then I say, uh, I have a possible solution. Now follow me carefully. I don't say I have a possible solution as though I had the answers, all the answers. I might say this, I have a possible solution. It may not be the best. Now what am I doing? I am not belittling my mate. 
as though you are the one that created the problem and I have a solution if you listen. Oh, no, no. I have a possible solution. I'm not sure that it's the best solution. And then by weighing my words, modulating my voice, I can say, perhaps, perhaps you might think of a better solution. Then she might say, well, instead of her saying, I don't like your solution at all, she will say, uh, she'll either say, I think that's a pretty good solution, or she may say, uh, what would you think of this solution? I'm not sure that it's a lot better than yours. Maybe it's not as good. But what would you think of this? Now we're discussing what? Solutions, not problems. And if I don't see light in the solution that she has suggested, and she doesn't see full light in the solution I've suggested, we might say, uh, what would you think of this? What would you think if we just kind of mulled this over in our mind, these two solutions that we've suggested, and uh, maybe for another day or so? And uh, maybe we'll come up with some other solution. Well, that would be fine. Let's do that. And then we pray together, and we thank the Lord. We're sweethearts, and we thank the Lord. We ask, believe, and thank the Lord for the promise of wisdom. James 1, 5. We may also decide to claim a promise of Isaiah 42, 16. It says, I'll bring the blind by way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they've not known. I'll make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Then the next day, we're discussing it again. But the moment we find any form of negative emotion, we say, let's put it on ice for a couple days, you see. Now, as two parties discuss solutions like this, if they will each humble themselves before the Lord and each other, by each of them saying, well, perhaps my solution might not be as good as yours. This goes a long way. Then the next law that comes into this uh, solution-centered discussion is the law of unselfish love. Married partners should not think just of their own happiness, but they should think of the happiness of their mate. You see? Think of the happiness of our mate. Some of you may recall that in uh, one of our other sessions, somebody brought in a question about uh, maybe the wife uh, had uh, felt that they could do certain things on the Lord's holy day and maybe the husband felt that uh, they shouldn't do things like, I forget just how it was worded. One, one couldn't conscientiously do what the other could. Uh, in this discussion of solutions, neither will try to force the other's conscience, you see. But instead of doing that, they say, what things could we do together? They may not be the things that either one has done too much alone. Let's study now, and let's tomorrow morning, let's make a list of one or two things, or three or four, or maybe a longer list of things we might possibly do together. We may have to eliminate many of those that, that one of them each doesn't enjoy. If we can, if we can always respect highly the conscience of the other, do you see? Especially where people are of, of different religious backgrounds. By one mate thinking in terms of, I want you to be happy. I didn't marry you just to be happy myself. I want you to be happy. Perhaps you would enjoy reading sometime. I haven't read it for years. 
the proposal that Abraham Lincoln made. It is one of the most astonishing proposals of marriage I've ever heard in my life. I haven't, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it read. I haven't read it for decades. But the whole thing had to do with, I want you to be happy. If in our marriage, I can make you happy. Now, we all want to make the other happy, but our first, our first loyalty must always be to whom? Jesus Christ. When a person accepts Jesus Christ, he accepts the lordship of Jesus. From then on, the moment I accept the lordship of Jesus, then in each case, Jesus makes the choices, you see. I don't make choices then. It, the, first, the, the choice I make is, is Jesus the Lord of my life or isn't he? If Jesus is the Lord of my life, then I want to conform to what I understand that he tells me. Now, my understanding of what he tells me to do may not be the same understanding that my mate is. This is why I believe, my friends, that married mates ought to read often 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? We ought to have charity toward the other person's conscience, you see. If the other person's conscience doesn't agree with my conscience, then we'll get together and say, what can we do together? You see, that's what we want to do. Always discuss solutions. Don't discuss problems. Let's review it now. Number one, there's a one-track mind. So don't inject a second problem while the first is in the mind. Number two, there's a time to discuss. Number three, that time is when the mind is, is unburdened from the first problem. Both understand that when they sit down, then they can do it. Number four, they should plan before they sit down on what solutions they would suggest. Number five, they'll merely identify the problem and go into the solution. Number six, they will allow that the other person's solution might be better than theirs. Number seven, they'll both be free to put it on ice till they meet again uh, and discuss it later. And now, my friends, let's go to the wonderful, wonderful Savior, precious. You see, he's the one that gives us the answers. Precious, my wonderful Savior, truthful his wonderful word. Sweet is his wonderful promise. Oh, what a wonderful Lord. I have found in my Christian life, there's so much to claiming God's promises. The Bible contains 3,573 promises or clusters of promises. And this is why we did this second, this second stanza. So it would help us to know that when we can't find solutions, God has the solutions. Ask of your wonderful Savior. Trust in his wonderful word. Claim every wonderful promise made by our wonderful Lord. Shall we sing it together? Ask of your wonderful Savior. Trust in his wonderful Word. Claim every wonderful promise made by our wonderful Lord. Oh, let's claim his promises. Dear Lord, you've said it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We cannot even have the will 
to discuss solutions. We can be self-willed unless you give us the will to cooperate. And then you've said you'll work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. You've told us to ask, so we ask. You've told us to believe, so we believe, because God cannot lie. Thank you now that according to your word and our faith, we do receive in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're ready for the question and answer time. You may have some questions either on previous uh, messages or you may have questions in regard to the one, the session we've just uh, uh, completed as far as the presentation is concerned. Just lift your hand and one of our teammates will, will give you a slip of paper or will gather up a slip of paper if you have it. And don't hesitate at all. And I see we already have some. Yes, the first uh, question has come, Pastor Kuhn, and it's this. If your mate likes to discuss problems only when angry or at, when he's at the end of his patience, how should this be handled in a lovable manner if he's insistent? The, the way to correct an individual is not to zero in on him and say, look, I want to tell you, you're, this is not the way now to discuss. You only do it when you're mad. You could, you'll take, you'll, you'll start the discussion something like this. Do you know, I was just recently at a session in a seminar, and I learned something about how to discuss problems I had never thought of before. You know, I have discussed before sometimes when I've been angry, and I shouldn't have done it, and I'm sorry. And, what would you, uh, and now, when you apologize to this mate, you see, instead of belittling the mate and saying, you never discuss except when you're mad, you're, you're putting yourself down, and this makes the mate feel at ease. You know, I, I didn't realize, you're telling the mate, I didn't realize that I'm not to discuss things in anger. Will you forgive me? That's James 5, 16. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. You know, the... The Christian religion has a lot of, of us in it today who instead of confessing our faults and praying for somebody else, we go around confessing their faults then asking them to pray for us. God says we to confess our own faults. The best way to teach people is to let them know how I am learning. This sets them completely at ease. And then you might say, what would you think if we did that? If you'll be patient with me and we follow these, these thoughts and these laws together, I'll do my best. I'm afraid I may make some mistakes, but what would you think we tried it together? And then you'll keep praying for the Holy Spirit that God will give me the new heart and then my mate. Next question. Yes, if your mate is not a Christian, how can you get that mate to prayerfully communicate? Number one, for those who have not married out of Christ, Thank the Lord that we still have time. <laughs> For those who have married out of Christ, you will have to approach this with that person from a little different angle. You don't have to say to this person, now, now let's be Christian about this. You see, every law of God is a law for everybody. For instance, a person who has never accepted Christ may by your kindness and your humility may see the reasonableness of sitting down and discussing solutions. You may to them present the thought 
uh, like we mentioned a moment ago, you know, I've just learned something about how to sit down. And I've made a lot of mistakes. And I found that when I've been pointing out your mistakes, now here's a Christian lady talking to a non-Christian husband. You know, I have pointed out your mistakes. I shouldn't have done this. And I, I hope you'll forgive me for this. And I've noticed, I, I heard say, and you may share some experiences to show how wrong you've been in scolding this mate instead of sitting down at the appropriate time. You might say, I, I've learned that uh, it's a psychological fact that what we talk about, we become. And if we discuss uh, problems instead of solutions, it's a psychological fact that we become a part of the problem. And I've been guilty of that. And I hope you'll forgive me. What would you think if we take a different approach? Then you're praying that the Lord will impress the mate. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, the Lord can change the mind of the other. The best way to ask to get the Lord to change the, mate, the mate's mind is for us to humble ourselves, confess our faults, not confess the other person's fault. Next question. No matter what our problem is to discuss, my mate starts out by blaming my religion being different from his. How could I lovingly change his direction? Well, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe the religion that this person has is different, you see. Maybe the mate is telling the truth, you see. Now, the, the way to handle it is according to Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, let's humble ourselves and say to this mate, you're right. My church affiliation is a little different. And I don't blame you for wanting a togetherness. I don't blame you for wanting this togetherness. We should have a togetherness. But now, then you can, then you can start with something like this. Why don't we then study the things that we, that we do agree on, things that we like to do together? Uh, maybe, maybe if they'd known before they married what they know now, maybe they wouldn't have married. But now they're married. Let's not break up homes. Let's build homes. Let's reconcile homes. Pray together. Say, dear Lord, help me not to infer to my mate, who may, I gather from this that this mate is a Christian, but not of the same faith. Help me, Lord, not to belittle my mate as though I thought I was better than my mate. Help me to say it's only a matter of conscience. I, I'm maybe not nearly as good as you are, but it is a conscientious question with me. There's nothing like humbling ourselves as we discuss problems. Next question. What could uh, a couple say during their sitting down time that would keep them from quarreling? We always argue. Please help. <laughs> the way is, before they sit down, whoever is going to bring up a problem, before this person brings it up, this person is to have one or more solutions, maybe two or three solutions. So the moment that the person says our problem is mud, <laughs> they're ready to say, I have a suggestion. You see, this keeps from any quarreling. Don't go into orbit and say, but look what you've been doing all these years. Let me illustrate. We had some very dear friends, very fine Christian friends, and I noticed that as, in this case, it was the lady. In most cases, the fault is the man, but in this particular case, it was the lady. Uh, she brought... I'm saying that because I'm a man. <laughs> uh, she brought to us in his presence a problem they had. And I said, now uh, let's talk about a solution. 
what would you think, I said, of such and such a thing as a solution? And she said, wonderful. And he, and he nodded, yes. And she nodded, yes. That's good. All right, they had the solution. They both agreed. You know what she did then? She said, but the reason why I brought it up is, and she started going right back into the problem. And I smiled and I said, a sister, uh, and I, you know, when you start correcting a person, modulate your voice, weigh your words, and put on a sweet humility. I can put on a humility, but may not be very sweet. <laughs> and I said, uh, just like I was just thinking, you know, <laughs> uh, didn't we, uh, didn't we just, uh, let's see, didn't we just find the solution? Oh, yes, she said, we did. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, we did. She said, but, but the reason, and she went right back into the mulling over the problem again, and and I smiled again, and I said, uh, and I had that faraway look again, you know. Nobody would know but what I was thinking. <laughs> and I was asking the Lord for wisdom. I said, let's see. Uh, didn't, uh, didn't, we, uh, didn't we find a solution? Oh, yes, she said, there I go again. Uh, but she said the reason. She must have said it four times. So we must pray to the Lord that the Lord will keep us from mulling over and mulling over and mulling over the problem. Don't talk about problems. Talk about solutions, because Jesus Christ is the answer. And he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is made to us wisdom. We have a right to reach right up and say, Lord Jesus, you are the wisdom of God. I ask for you to make me soft and tender and kind and humble, and he'll do it. Next question. Pastor Kuhn, our next-door neighbors are always fighting and making up. And the husband says that that's the best way for married couples to live because the making up is worth it all. What do you think? <laughs> uh, by the way, I wonder if there's someone here that would like to give. Somebody raise your hand. Tell us what your answer would be, would you? Just raise your hand and I'll come right down and, and you can talk in this mic. Uh, they're always quarreling and making up. Uh, uh, by the way, would you have a thought on that? People that are always quarreling and making up and they say the making up is so sweet, they like to quarrel. Would you have some counsel for them? It seems a shame to uh, waste the time quarreling. <laughs> Did you all hear that? I think that was beautiful. It's a shame to waste the time quarreling. <laughs> How many here agreed? <laughs> Very good. Why waste the time? Time is precious. You know, we only have one life. They say three score years and ten. And if... Perchance it should be four score. <laughs> you have a little trouble. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm still young. I have to tell you a story. I met, I met the speaker at the Voice of Prophecy, HMS Richards. Some of you may have heard his broadcasts. And I was taking, I was in the same cafeteria in Glendale, California, and walked over to where he was eating. We ate together, and that was about three years ago. I was 69 then. And I turned to him, I said, Brother Richards, I'm almost 70. He said, you're just a stripling, just a stripling. So it's good to be just striplings at the age of some of us, right? Next question. This question says, dear minister, psychologists say that our biggest problem is our pent-up emotions. They say people should express these emotions, good or bad. In other words, they should let it all out. They even teach people how to blow their stacks. My wife has been going to a Christian group 
a meeting led by a Christian psychologist who is encouraging this kind of philosophy. I don't believe this is God's way for Christians to act, and my wife insists it is, and she wants me to go with her to learn how to get rid of my hostilities. What texts in the Bible can I go to for help? I think my wife would accept Bible proof. Thank you. Let me give you first uh, from two phases. First from a psychiatrist and then from the Bible. We were conducting a series of meetings out in California several years ago, and we understood that in that little church family there were two psychiatrists. And of course we're teaching Bible laws of sweet harmony. When we were through that week, this psychiatrist, he was a Christian, you know, member of the church family, this psychiatrist wrote us a three-page letter analyzing the program that we were giving. And had I known that this question would come in at this session, I might have brought one of those pages. He, it was absolutely astonishing. He said, we have been teaching that the way to solve a problem is, and he covered just like the question, and he said, imagine mulling over the problem when we could, be go could have been going into the solution all this time. He said, Pastor Kuhn, the message that you're sharing is the message, I'm putting it in my words, the message that the world needs today. He said, I do have a criticism, criticism however. He said, you're working too hard. <laughs> this is what the, psychi the psychiatrist said. Uh, we mentioned at another session in one of the universities or college where they played some of our tapes in which we gave Bible answers. The teacher said that he had just finished the latest up-to-date university course on counseling, and he said that what we were presenting from God's Word alone is the very latest that they're learning in the university. The second is, where do we find in the Bible from God's Word that instead of bubbling over and getting it all out, that there's a better way. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, We beholding are changed into the same image. In other words, well, here's another text. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The more we think about the negatives, the more we go to orbit about the problems, the more we become a part of the problem. You probably heard of the uh, four, I think it was, psychiatrists that did a heavy research on suicide. All but one committed suicide. Uh, <clears throat> let me tell you another story. There was a wonderful couple. They were getting along very beautifully together. They weren't having any, tr any trouble. They were an exceptional couple. And they met a professional friend of theirs. Now, this professional friend does not represent our university people. I'm not belittling them at all. But this professional friend said, you know how you can be happier? He said, each of you make a list of the faults of each other and discuss your faults. Get it out. So they made a list, each of the faults of the other. The next time they met him, they were ready to be divorced. They said, sir, we've learned that's not the way. We're not going to do that anymore. 
We're going back into the original homespun marriage. Thank you. Next question. There are two questions here that are related, Pastor Kuhn. The first one says, would these means of communication work between parents and children? If they were used, there would be less problems with our youth and we would all benefit. Don't you think this is true? This is true between parents and children. It can work like magic. It can also work in schools between teachers and pupils. It can work in, uh, in churches, on church councils. Think of everybody in the council, in a church council, talking about solutions. Don't you like it? Talk about parents discussing with their children solutions, you see. Do we have time for one more? Yes, I believe we do. And this is from a young person. It says, we have family meetings in our home where we all discuss problems and things that we want to do, and we vote on certain things, but my problem is nobody pays any attention to my ideas, and I either get ignored or voted down, usually by my parents. And I really don't think they listen to what I'm suggesting. What can I do to get them to listen to me once in a while? And this person signed it, 15 and frustrated. Isaiah 30, verse 15, for parents. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. I think the greatest criticism that teenagers have of their parents today is they won't listen. Isn't that a tragedy thing? Isn't that a tragedy? I know it's true. I was ready to pick up a telephone at a certain school where we were holding some meetings. And as I picked up the telephone, I heard a teenager calling her mother and talking to her. Mommy, would so-and-so be all right? The sweet little voice teenager, would so-and-so be all right? And, and I thought, well, it looks like they're going to close right now. I don't believe in rubbering. <laughs> and I heard the mother say, no, no, sir. She didn't give the girl any reasons. She didn't say, look, let me pray about it. She didn't say, honey... I'm interested in your happiness. Not one thing at all. No. Thank the Lord for whoever wrote that. Parents, don't you think that we ought to, in our little prayer groups, in our little fellowship circles, don't you think we as parents ought to say, Oh, Lord, help us to realize that our little boys and girls are people. They're people, just like we are. Now, when I was a little boy back home, <laughs> I had a lot of problems. I'd go past my uncle's home to school and my uncle would come out on the front steps and he would ridicule and he'd laugh like a horse. And he'd tell me I was the homeliest boy he ever saw. I dreaded to go past his home. But you know, my friends, I'd see preachers come to, to visit my father. They'd pay no attention to me. I was too ugly to pay any attention to a little boy. I said, Lord, when I get, become a preacher, I'm going to pay attention to little people. Some of you will notice that when I shake hands with people at, at one of our seminars, when a little boy comes out, I give him a coon hug, a little boy. A little girl come out, I give her a coon kiss. <laughs> Pay attention to little people. They're people. They're real people. One little girl, I gave her a coon kiss one night. <laughs> she came the next night. Would you give me another coon kiss? Gave another coon kiss. You see, I can manufacture them just as fast as I distribute them. The third night she brought her mommy. Will you give mommy a coon kiss? I said, no, I have an age limit. 
You know that's a shame to say an age limit. What's wrong with it? With that? Amen? <laughs> but I still am very careful because there might be some Pharisees looking on, you know. So I have to be very careful. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.